So, uh, morning, everybody. Um, so let me get there. We go. Sorry. So I'm assuming that I can't move from this spot. Yeah, but I can't. Can you? Brilliant. Okay. I'm. Um, it's it's weird, isn't it, being under all these sort of strange restrictions and stuff? But we we give it our best shot. Eh? So I'm used to moving around when I speak. Um, Apart from what? That's it. I think I'm the only preacher that gets heckled everywhere I go. <laughs> right, what I'd like us to do actually, before we go any further, <laughs> grab camera, camera bloke. What I think I'd like us to do <laughs> before we go any further, I'd like us to, I'd like us to have a moment of peace before the Lord actually. Um, you know, when we, we're in this sort of scenario, we, we not meant to keep you in the room for too long and we're all in our masks and life's happening and it's been a bit of a trial, isn't it? And it's an ongoing trial for us all. But let's, uh, let's spend a bit of time in the Lord's presence, I think. We've been worshipping, but let's be still. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to brood over us and give your cares to him and the stuff that's going on. I mean, I'm stalking you all on Facebook, so I know that we've, we've all got our, you know, our stories and the stuff that's happening out there. So let's be still. And we say, come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. Be present over us now. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So you just sit still before the Lord. All the stuff that's going on in life, the secret struggles, stuff that people know about, just present them to God now. And the stuff that's just between you and him, or just between you and a few people. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, honourable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things and the things you've learned and received and heard. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we say, come Holy Spirit, and just grant your peace now. Just stand, sit in your presence. Grant us your peace. Do you want to just get yourself into a place of receiving, actually? Do you want to hold your hands out before the Lord? Or just open your stance up. It's just symbolic, really. Say, here I am. Would you meet with me? What a beautiful opportunity just to be together as God's kids. Whether you know him this morning or not, just receive his peace. Come, Lord Jesus. Be present in this room. This little room with us, just this little group of people here today.
sometimes isn't it? We, we, we just need to know we love, don't we? That we're all, all, all born hoping for unconditional love or expecting unconditional love and enter life in that way, but, but we don't receive it because we're all broken, messed up people, whether you think you've got it sorted or not. But there is one who loves you unconditionally. His name's Jesus. He loves you. His spirit's with us. And all, you can, all you need to do sometimes is just find that little quiet place in the midst of the storm. So here I am, it's just me. Would you be with me? And, and I do believe that if you're keeping your heart right before the Lord, or you're bringing your heart before him, he will grant you his peace. I'm sure many of you experienced that just then, just sitting there quietly now, even in a little group of people, you can experience the peace of Jesus. And how much do we need that at the moment? Anyway, um, Steve, who is currently setting the preaching plan, for those of you that you know, aren't aware, because there's a couple of visitors here, I was leading a church, planted a church actually eight, nine years ago, and, and recently stepped down, although as you see, I'm still physically present to annoy you all. Uh, I am preaching regularly and still on the board of trustees, just to remind you that, and, and here for people when they need me, still doing bits and pieces in, in the background. Um, but I, I, you know, as, as, as part of, Bob, well, just to cut to chase, as, as part of this, uh, Steve is now setting the preaching plan, and I think has deliberately given me the grimmest and worst passages <laughs> in, in all the segments that we're doing, which is why you stopped after nine plagues, I'm actually sure. So for the visitors, we are going through the book of Exodus, and I actually said to Andrew, who's my PA Edge, and for CVM stuff, I said, why, oh, why am I getting the death and mayhem verses every time? But actually, they're quite stunning um, in what we learn from them. So we are going to be reading from Exodus chapter 11 through to a chunk of Exodus chapter 12. And I make no apology for reading it all out because I can't, you can't skip this stuff. And I, I don't want to be glib, so I am going to try and explain it. We are looking at the passages of, of the Passover when, when the firstborn children of Egypt were killed. Um, I don't want to be glib about it. When I first came to Christ at age 18, there were many things that I didn't understand and there are still things that I struggle to understand now, even though I've been to Bible college and everything, though it was a very long time ago. One of the things that really did my head in, if I can put it like that, when I was 18 and I was exploring Christianity was Noah. I couldn't get my head around it. Why did this massive flood happen and, and like potentially millions of people, depending on what the population of the earth was at the time, thousands of people, get killed. So I went to, because I was growing up in Romford, grew up in Romford, I went to the Havering Christian Bookshop, bold in, bold as brass, and went, have you got a book on Noah and the flood? Because I was exploring Christianity, mainly because I fancied Karen. And she said, she said I'll only go out with you if you're a Christian and after failing to fake the conversion I thought I'd better do some research so I went in I went look this thing's doing me head in literally I literally said to her don't get have you got a book on a flood she went yeah in the children's section <laughs> this is how mad it is it's madness so I just said to her I went, what she said yeah in the children's section <laughs> so I went over to the children's section so in my head I've got there's a flood and millions of people, because I didn't understand the population of the world had been less then, but millions of people, bodies floating around, carcasses, and corpses, terrible. And there was a pop-up book with little lions in it. 
No, this is your mad. So he said to him, is that it? That is the book you got on the flood. Yeah, yeah, and it's for kids. You're teaching Sunday school kids about, about genocide and murder and mayhem. Couldn't get my head around it. And that's sometimes the problem. It is a problem. There are, there are serious, like, devastating stories in the Bible, and we turn them into Sunday school stories, or we pass over it. See what I did there? That is, a, that is the work of a professional. And we, we, we glibly just journey over it as if it's not a big deal. Well, it, it is a big deal. It's a massively big deal, this. And it's hard to get your head around it. But I believe it happens. It's in the Bible. And I, and I think the fact that it happened is very, very important. And I'm going to try and explain it. And because I don't want us to, like, really crush the kids' workers by being in there in their masks for hours, I'm going to try and do this in about 20 minutes from here. So here we go. This is Exodus chapter 11. Uh, now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go on from here. And, and actually, this, it, it said this, the Lord has said this earlier in Exodus 4, it said this is what's going to happen. Uh, Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and from uh, each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. Now, as I read into this, you're going to see that the detailed instructions are, they're very detailed. Um, He's setting them up here for a rapid exit. They're getting ready to plunder. And the instructions here are very, very specific as you read it. You think, why is this? It's because if you're trying to get people to do anything on a voluntary basis, it's a nightmare. People on the whole do not want to do what they're told. And the best thing to do in order to get people to do what they need to do is to be very specific and create a sense of awe and dread. And then they might behave. And actually, it's very important that they needed to. Very important, as we find out. The Lord gave the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. Understand, we're not talking about children dying. We're talking about the firstborn dying. You could be 40. You could be 30 years of age. It's devastating. It is the firstborn of everything will die at whatever age or stage. That, that's ter- it's a terrifying prospect. Uh, we're not talking to like, little babies. It's, it's, it's like family lines being severed whatever age or stage. Remember that the firstborn in society, especially back then, very significant, carries the family name, the family trade, the, the family honour, the family dynasty, head of the household maybe, all of that kind of stuff, going to get wiped. It's big stuff. And a great cry is going to go out. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark. Whether against man or beast, 
you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. A lot of people are talking about the Great Reset. This is the birth of the nation. This, this is the resetting here, or, or the beginning of the people of, of, of God. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbours nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. See how it's getting very detailed. If you give overly detailed instructions, they're more likely to obey. I think if we don't do this, we could be stuffed. That's what I think is happening. Your lamb shall be unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You should keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts or on, or on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. This is giving them a clue. Once this is done, you've got to get ready to go. It's going to be bad. And you've got to get ready to be fleet of foot and get on the move. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I'll execute judgment. This is not just a physical battle this is a spiritual battle too and that's really important you see that in verse 12 if you're following it it's against the gods of Egypt too what's essentially happening here before I read on a little bit more you, know, you mustn't forget because this sounds like it's terrible and it is but Pharaoh killed all the firstborn sons of Israel that had already happened and inflicted slavery upon them for decades and decades and decades, centuries of slavery and mayhem and murder and oppression. And actually, God's kind. He gave them nine chances for inflicted pain on them. He did. He sent all the plagues and stuff that um, Steve talked through. And I think sometimes people see this and they forget. I, I mentioned the flood earlier, but we don't mention the sheer violence and mayhem and murder and horror that was happening in the land at the time that happened. God is gracious and he's kind. You see it in stories like Samson the judge. You'll know this well because I've spoken about this when we used to meet back in the old days. I spoke about this a lot because it's so important. Like the Holy Spirit in our context is, is very sensitive. Now it's so important we keep our lives in a sweet spot. If we want to be full of his joy and peace and walking in an anointing of God, 
You keep, keep yourself on a narrow path. No matter what it takes, you've got to keep yourself in the right place. And Samson was anointed. He was a Nazarite. He'd taken a Nazarite vow. Don't touch dead bodies. Don't touch alcohol. Don't cut your hair. And he slowly but surely, he went through each of the Nazarite vows and broke them. You remember when he got his hair cut, although admittedly he was asleep at the time, but his hair was cut. And, and when he woke up, he went out to doing the Philistines and it says the spirit of the Lord had left him, but he didn't even know. For me, one of the scariest passages in scripture that you can actually think you've got the presence of God over your life, but he's left you. And you didn't even know because you've been walking around in the wrong direction off the narrow path for so long, you numbed and blunted his presence. But the point being that God is gracious and kind. He gave Samson chances. He's given the people of Israel, uh, Egypt, nine chances. Moses is standing there with his staff each time. There'll be blood. There's frogs. You know, there's this. There's famine. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And now at the point, and this is the awesome bit. Moses, step aside. I'm now going to have to do my thing. He, Moses was one that once there with his staff. Now you're battling the Lord over heavens and earth. And that has devastating consequences. But his grace extends as far as possible. I was reading this earlier this morning, actually, in Ezekiel. This is what the Lord says. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. And it's so clear to me in Scripture that, you know, God, God don't want to do stuff like this. He didn't. He didn't like it. He doesn't like inflicting pain because he's kind. He's gentle of heart. That's what the Bible says. But the people are so stubborn. And of course, we're going to get onto the good news for us in a bit. But this is pre-Jesus, isn't it? And pre-the cross, although it has such amazing implications for us. So here we go. And the blood, verse 13, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Bearing in mind, that also means that so awesome is the power of God that when he was going to do this, and the angel passes over and causes death, Actually, if the people of God had not marked their lintels and their houses with blood or followed the instructions, actually, they would have been slaughtered too. You need to remember that. He's, he's not just like, indiscriminately targeting like, Egypt. Actually, he's saying that so awesome is the power that will come upon the land. Unless you do this, you cannot be spared. Well, that's awesome, isn't it? And terrifying at the same time. And when I read passages like this, one of the things it does bring me back to is the fact that we do need to recapture in our hearts a little bit of a sense of the fear of the Lord. Oh, we do. I think we, we, we've often been said, but we can be so casual. But he's a holy God. And his power is beyond comprehension. He's a God who made the heavens and the earth. He's right now sitting there, you know, we all sort of got this coronavirus stuff happening. And all the feelings and emotions that go with that. But don't we realise that he is sustaining your life right now, moment by moment, with just a bunch of molecules. With just a bunch of weird atoms. I'm saying that with a doctor in the house. I'm not going to go into detail because I haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. But what I do know, 
I do think, why don't we just fly apart? I'm sure there's a technical answer. <laughs> but it's weird, isn't it? Like God, God's holding the universe together. Do we not realise that? Nanosecond by nanosecond. Sustaining our lives. For various reasons, I was up stupid o'clock this morning, about 3.50 in the morning, and after having to deal with some stuff, I, I sat downstairs just briefly, and uh, I can tell you that I got no great revelation for the Holy Spirit or nothing. I just felt really tired and in need of lots of coffee. But I do feel thankful, just in that, in that quietness, thankful that my God's got me and he's granting me my life. He's granted you life. And I think we forget his holiness and how powerful he is. Nanosecond by nanosecond, even as you're forming opinions about what I'm saying, if you wanted to shut the show down, you could do it like that. And this is what it says in verse 14. Now this day will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord. Throughout your generations you're to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And he goes on to explain how to do that. In verse 16, on the first day you'll have a holy assembly and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work shall be done on them except what must be eaten by every person. He talks about the Passover. Verse 18, in the first month of the 14th day of the month of evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month of evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your house. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or native from the land. It's really like, you've got to remember this and treasure this amazing thing that I'm doing for you. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and take for yourselves lambs according to the families and slay the Passover lamb. Verse 23, the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. He will not allow the destroyer in if you are covered by the blood. When you enter the land which the Lord has given you, as he's promised me, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And that came at about midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. cattle. And Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel. Go worship the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds and go. And the Egyptians urged the people. Now, they, the people who had participated, because they would have participated in killing the firstborns of Israel, they're now saying, just get out. you just got to go. And they requested from them the articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have this request. And thus, they plundered the Egyptians. 
it's a really tough passage. I'll try to give a little bit of commentary uh, as we went along there, because uh, I think that's important. Uh, a few things I just want to point out, uh, and then we'll pray. And I do want to emphasize again this whole nature of spiritual battle and try and help us to understand that. Um, it's very easy in these times to, to, to manipulate the situation. But what I want to do say is this. What you see and feel and experience around you is only half the story. Maybe it's not even 90% of the story. I, I, it's just not everything. There is a spiritual world around us too. There is spiritual conflict happening as well. And we just need to understand that. Now, I do believe we have a devil who's appointed to attack us. And I, and I do think he gets interested in some people more than others. I don't think when your dishwasher stops working, it's spiritual attack. I just think it's your dishwasher stopped working. And us Christians, followers of Christ, have got to stop saying, because my washing machine's blown up, the devil's attacking me. He's not. That's just life. And you're being daft. So we just don't think that stuff. When he goes for you, from my own personal experience, bitter personal experience, when the devil gets interested in you and he goes for you, he goes for you. It's brutal. But there is a spiritual battle too. And sometimes he plays the long war of attrition against you. That is true. He tries to grind and grind and niggle and niggle and wear you down. He knows what buttons to press. Most of us have good armour in some places and chinks in the armour in other places. And, and, and our enemy will know how to exploit them. Fact. And it's in those times we've got to knuckle down and keep trusting the Lord. But there is a spiritual battle around us. And some of you are going through it. And some of you will go through it. And it's in, in, in those particular moments when the acute pressure's on, it's a time we actually do need to be on our knees and bow before the Lord and worship him. They're, they're the times we've got to be really pressing in to the things of God and make sure we keep on the front for his purposes and do what you've got to do to enable yourself to stay in that place. If you've got too much crowded in, you've got to try the best you can to create the space to put God first. You, you must. No matter what you're doing and what your life's about. That, that's part of the stuff that I'm doing in my own life at the moment. Because I know what God's called me to do. But I was at the point where I was going to drop off the edge of the plot. Unless I created space to hear from the Lord. Keeping that sweet spot of his purposes. It's so important. The primary thing in life is your relationship with Jesus. And then your family. And then ministry. And if you keep yourself in the sweet spot of the Lord's purposes, the rest of it will flow. And sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do to keep yourself there. Because there is a spiritual war. And Jesus, Jesus is hated by the devil. He hates him. And he will use you to try and get at Jesus and to, drop, and to, to, to knock you off the game, to knock you out of it, get you off the narrow path. And sometimes it can be disastrous and go on for a long period of time. It could be health, marriage, monetary stuff, secret sin. And you've got to do what you've got to do to get yourself into that beautiful place in the Lord's presence, to have the strength to endure. Because here's the, here's the simple truth. The people of Israel were slaves. If you're not in Christ, you're a slave to sin. You might not even realise it. But actually, having lived not as a Christian, there have been times when I've walked in away from your faith, it's very easy to get yourself into a downward spiral. And sure, a night on the beer 
or, or flutter on the horses or contemplating adultery or whatever it is may give you a thrill for the moment. And then the emptiness comes in the morning, doesn't it? It just does. That hangover comes again. And you have that, oh, I'm never going to do that again. And then what do you do? You do it again. And then what do you do? You do it again. I've known people to serially mess up their marriages, seriously mess up their health, serially. And they keep saying every time, not going to do it again, not going to do it again, not going to do it again. Many of us get ourselves into that place, into that hole. I've got to say it. There's only one way out of slavery. It's the blood of Jesus. And actually, the only way out of slavery now at this point for the people of Israel here was the, was the sacrificial blood over the lintel so that they could then escape into freedom. We, we are slaves unless you put our faith, hope, life and trust in Christ. And then the Bible says that actually you become a slave to Jesus. But what a better place to be so the freedom of Christ in your life. Freedom actually, weirdly, comes out of discipline. It, it, following spiritual disciplines brings you to a place of freedom. I can tell you now, at nearly 50, having followed the Lord since I was 18, and had me good times and me bad times, what a beautiful thing it is to not wake up with hangovers. What a, it is. What a beautiful thing it is to actually wake up thinking, oh, I'm really looking forward to me morning coffees and some time with the Lord. What a beautiful thing it is to have a clean conscience and wake up not worrying about what someone might find on your phone. Isn't it? Well, you might be sitting there thinking, I wish that was me. But it can be. I, I, I literally don't care what anyone picks up my phone, picks up my computer, looks in my fridge, looks under the bed. If I know I'm so boring. But it's freedom. The alternative is slavery. And this is a, what you're seeing here is a picture of that. The people are slaves. The sin that entangles. Pleasant for a while, but not ultimately. The second thing we understand from this passage is that to reject God is death. It is. And um, God is kind. He's kind to you. He's kind to me. He was kind to the people of Egypt. Gave him nine chances. Nine chances after centuries of oppression. Patient. Kind. So here's what happens, unfortunately, for some Christians and people who are yet to believe. What happens is, you could be thinking you're getting away with stuff. And you still think, oh, I feel God's presence when I'm in the worship, though. Even though I'm doing this thing on the side. It's a falsehood. It's, what you're experiencing is the patience of God. He's experiencing his kindness. And then one day he'll just say, enough. And he'll do what he has to do to get you into a place of life, should you choose to listen. But to reject God is death. And that's what happened here to the people of Egypt. They kept rejecting. They participated in murder and mayhem and oppression. And God gave them a chance. It's actually, do you know what? It's actually the same in some senses for us. Well, it is exactly the same. To not put your faith, hope, life and trust into Christ is actually to reject God. Um, you know, I, I've got to call it as it is because this might be the last talk I ever get to give. So it's good to be honest, isn't it? To not accept Christ and to walk with him is actually to reject him. And to reject him is death. The Bible says it is the wages of sin 
is death. And some of you might think, which is what I used to think, and what I think a lot of my friends think. They think, yeah, but I'm all right. You know, I, I'm all right. I'll give a little bit, you know, when, I, when the change comes in the shop, I put a bit in the blind box. I'm a good person. You know, at the garage, sometimes I press yes to give to charity. I find them a bit annoying, if I'm honest. But, I, you know, oh, I'm a good person. I did my shopping for my neighbour. Then I would say, oh, yeah, but you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, with every fibre of your being at every conscious waking moment. Are you adoring the Lord? Well, then you're stuffed. Can't do it on our own. We need the blood of Jesus. We need the blood over the lintel, metaphorically speaking. That's what we're learning from this. You can't do it on your own. Your goodness is clearly not enough. To reject God is death. And the final thing we learn is that there needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be a sacrifice. And I, I, I still find it mind-blowing to this day that Jesus in the Bible is called the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, the one who is out blemished, fault, did no wrong, and died, was crucified after the Passover meal the night before. According to two gospel accounts, he was put to death on the Passover all those years later for you. How remarkable is that? So all we need to do now is say, yes, Jesus, don't get it all. Like, I still don't get the flood, and I still don't get this, and I don't get the shroud of chewing, and I don't understand everything, but I can put my faith, hope, life, and trust in you in the way that I understand it so that I'm covered by the blood of Christ. Because to not put yourself under the blood of Christ leaves you exposed to death. Simple as that. It's terrifying. And where would you rather be? Trust in yourself or trust in the Lord and placing yourself under the covering of his blood. So when Christians sing about blood, blood, nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus, you think, that's a bit gruesome. What a weird song. Because it is, isn't it? If you're first going to Christian circles and you're singing that, you're like, you're just a weird bunch of freaks. But that's what it is. It is he's the Passover lamb. And so the death of Jesus becomes hugely more understandable. The power of God, apart from Jesus, he's so holy, so powerful. Yes, he's sustaining us, but actually to be exposed to that, if you stand before him one day, will we'll bring wipe out. It's to place yourself outside of his presence. It's called hell. And even navigating this life, of all its ups and downs, it's such a tough thing to do. Remember, the hangover comes again. Can't, it's very hard to get yourself out of it. But to have the power of God coursing through your veins, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, and your life is brought under the blood of Jesus, he died on the cross, shed blood for you, on the Passover, so even now we can come to him and say, would you, would you, would you help me? I need your help. Would you forgive me? Would, would death pass over me? Would death pass over me, please, God? What a beautiful and amazing thing that is. So whilst it's a terrible passage in one sense, actually, it's a beautiful one too. Because God wants no one to die. And he didn't want his son to die. Do you think he wanted his son out to a cross? Of course he didn't. 
didn't want to do it. And the amazing thing is that Jesus was a willing lamb. Not just a lamb that hasn't got much sentience about it and get killed, willingly went for you. And, and for me, just to finish, the mind-blowing thing for me was when I realised I'd just been letting that pass me by. I was like, oh yeah, whatever, that's nice. Oh no, 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 no. You are so loved that God sent his son to die and spill blood so that death would pass you by. How, how amazing and beautiful is that? And the only response for me to that is, oh God, I just want to live my life right. I do. I, I, want, I want to stay in your presence. I, I don't want these hidden corners and edges. I want to please you. I, I, I don't want to not be a rotten scumbag because I'm scared. I, I want to live my life right as best I can because Jesus loves me. When, when I first started being an evangelist, I'd, people would say, why would you do it? And I'd go, because oh, Jesus loves people. Then a deeper revelation was, oh, Jesus loves me. I just want to do all I can because he loves me. And I'll finish by saying this. I, when I was at Bible college in 1996 for three years, I had to study church dogmatics. Do you do that? Karl Barth. When you went into Spurgeon's library, there was this massive like, load of bookshelves with Karl Barth's church dogmatics. Just like epically boring. And I couldn't get my head around it, but I had to study it over a course of three years. And then I read something, this is back in the 90s, which many people know now, but it was a big revelation to me, that Karl Barth, at the conclusion of writing this epic thing, Church Dogmatics, this incredible collection of theology, someone said to him, what have you learned? How do you conclude this? What, what is the one thing you've learned after all this amazing study, the application of your fine mind? What have you learned? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. Because the Bible tells me so. You think, why don't you just write that then, you big chuff? <laughs> anyway, but actually, ultimately, this is what this tells us. That God so loves you that he sent his one and only son and died for you. Of course, he doesn't stop there because he rose again, but that's probably Steve's getting that beautiful passage or something because I get the old ones. Uh, uh, let's uh, stand together, shall we, and pray. And look, it would be remiss of me not to say... Uh, just let's have a moment of quiet and bring your life before God. Ask for his grace, ask his forgiveness. And, and maybe you're not a follower of Christ here this morning. Um, I'm sure there's one or two of you in that place. And it might be just a time to start saying a little yes to Jesus. Oh God, you know, help me understand. But thank you. If this is true, if this is true, just, just thank you. We'll make those little steps. Maybe you're ready to make a big step and say, yeah, I'll put my faith, hope, life and trust in you. And it may be you've got stuff going on in the background of your life and there's a chance to say, God, I'll put my trust in you. So Father, uh, not for me to lead a prayer at this moment, I don't think, but we bring our lives individually before you. And corporately as a church, we pray that you'd be pleased with us. So in this, this little brief moment, come Holy Spirit and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name.